Today we continue in our journey through the book of Ephesians, so you might want to turn your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 1, that's where we will be at today. Now I'm not big into tattoos. Some people in this room like tattoos. I was joking with one gentleman and he loves his tattoos. I'm not against them. I don't think they're horrible or sinful or awful if you like them. But I wanted to have a little discussion about some tattoos with you today and wanted to share some pictures. And I've got to warn you, if you go on the internet and say, let's look at tattoos, there's not many I could bring to church that were probably appropriate to show you. But there were a few when I started searching Christian tattoos, so to speak, so I could find something. And so here's a couple that kind of caught my attention. Somebody decided that it was wise and smart to have tattooed across their foot, walk by faith, not by sight. Now that's pretty neat, but that would hurt. Across the top edge of your foot right there, or across that side of your foot, that would hurt. The other one right there, I kind of cropped that picture, um, but that's someone's rib cage right along the side right here where they have the praying hands and the cross and it says faith and it says eternity. To me, that is extremely painful. I'm not into tattoos because one, I don't have the money to spend for that. And two, I'm a wimp. And so I wouldn't dare to put a tattoo. I wonder though, sometimes people that do tattoos, especially Christian tattoos, I think they're saying to the rest of us, I'm more Christian than you are. I'm closer to God than you are. No, that's not true. Maybe some of you all think that. But it's just interesting when you start looking at tattoos because it's actually something that has grown. I remember when I was a kid, my mom and dad were like, you are never getting a tattoo. And now my parents are like, ah, oh, you want to get a tattoo? Please at least wait till you're 18. And then some of us say, well, you're 16. I don't mind. Get a tattoo. Some parents still kind of freak out. Even the lick and stick tattoos. You're like, you don't put anything on your body. Some freak out when someone draws their hands with marker. Some are like, draw all over your body if you want to. Really, all that stuff is meaningless. But here is a tattoo that is important. Now I want to talk to you about today. According to Scripture, if you are in Christ, you have been tattooed by God. If you are in Christ, you have been tattooed by God through the Holy Spirit. The seal in the Greek was a brand. This seal was a brand. It was a marking of ownership of cattle and slaves. It had nothing to do with preservation. It was actually a marking of ownership, and so God stamps the ownership of His children with the Holy Spirit. If you're in Christ, you have been marked. In Ephesians chapter 1, we start to understand this concept that we are His slaves, we are His workers, and our whole purpose is to serve our Master, and this stamp is also a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance. And so remember, the people in Ephesus were going through some difficult stuff, and Paul writes this letter reminding them who they are in Christ, trying to bring words of encouragement. And the words that we wrestle with today, the two verses that we're going to look at, chapter 1, verse 13 and 14, should be great words of encouragement if you're in Christ. Now, if you're not in Christ yet, and you're on a, mess, you're on a path where you're discovering who is Jesus, and what does it mean, what a great time to be in worship with us today. Because you get a chance to hear what it means to have this partner, this helper, the Holy Spirit that works with you. Let's look at our text in verse 13 and 14. And you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, you were marked in Him with a seal. There's your, there's your tattoo, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of His glory. This is good news. Not just good news, it's 
great news. Deposit or the earnest money is like a down payment. You know, it sounds like a commercial transaction, kind of like you putting something in layaway, but this word in the Greek was then, and it is used today as an engagement or like an engagement ring. This deposit is not just some transaction you're making with God. This is a personal experience. It's a personal relationship transaction. It's parallel to that the church, the bride of Christ, should wear the representation of a promise that comes from Jesus for the coming bride. We know that he will come and claim his bride because he has given us this promise and the spirit is an encouragement or like an engagement ring. What greater assurance we have. I was talking with a young couple today that came in. We're talking about their wedding that's coming up in September and we're talking about wedding rings and the cost of wedding rings and so forth. And we understand in today's culture that when you put on an engagement ring, you're making a promise making a promise to be married. There are two great words here that I, uh, that I aim, to help us, that aim to help us feel secure in God's love and, and power. The word sealed and the word guarantee. Two important words in this text to understand. Let's see if we can kind of unpack those two words and get a better understanding. What does it mean that believers have been sealed with the Holy Spirit? The word is used at least three different times in the New Testament. And a lot of times, if you're trying to understand a word in Scripture, it's good to go to other places in Scripture and try to go, well, how is it defined there and what purpose was it used for there? More than even going to like the Webster's Dictionary. I know sometimes we go and go, what does that word mean? No, go to other places in Scripture and try and go, where is that word used and how is it used? So let's look at three locations where it's used. One is in Matthew 27, the tomb of Jesus was secured by sealing it and putting guards around it. So it's, it's closed with a big old rock. Guards are put around so that's sealed. Why did they seal it? Because they wanted to make sure no one stole the body. Right? They wanted to make sure no shenanigans were going on. So They also wanted to make sure that Jesus himself didn't get up and push the rock out of the way and walk away. So they seal the tomb shut. Revelation 20, God throws Satan into a pit and seals it over so he can't what? So he can't escape. So two situations where the word sealed is used there. You look at those, it gives us a little bit of definition of this word, which means locking something up or closing it in. Now, we're familiar with that. You understand what it means to lock something up? You had some leftover food from your meal last night. You put it in a Ziploc bag or in a Ziploc container. You press the seal really tight and close. You, you lock the food in to keep it fresh. For some of us, we have kids and we lock them in a room and go, let's seal the door shut. And when they're 18, we'll let them out. But we understand the idea of sealing something tight. Definition number two, you look at Romans 4. Abraham's circumcision is, is called the sign and the seal, the righteousness he had by faith. In 1 Corinthians 9, Paul says that his converts are the seal of his apostleship. And so you see there a giving of a sign for authenticity. Abraham's circumcision, that was a sign. Paul says his converts, they are a seal. It's a sign that his apostleship is real, that who he is in Christ is true. And definition number three, Revelation 7, the seal of God is put on the forehead of God's servants to protect them from the wrath that is coming upon the world. So it's a sign of protection. Now that brings us back to Ephesians 1 verse 13. What did Paul mean when he said that believers are sealed by the Holy Spirit. No matter which of these meanings you use, the basic truth is the same. If the Spirit seals shut, the point must be that He seals in faith and seals out unbelief and apostasy. 
He wants to seal your heart so that your faith does not leave. He wants to keep the faith inside of you. If the Spirit seals us as a sign of authenticity, then He is that sign and is the Spirit's work in our life and, and kind of God's trademark upon us. Our eternal adoption is real and it's authentic. If we have the Spirit, He is a sign of divine reality within our lives. And thirdly, if the Spirit marks us with God's seal, He's telling us He wants to protect us from the evil forces which won't dare to enter a person being marked by God's chosen possession. And so all three of those definitions are real definitions of the Holy Spirit's work. No matter how you look at the word sealed in a text, it's a message of safety and security and God's love and God's power and God's protection. God sends the Holy Spirit as a preserving seal, wanting to preserve our faith. He sends the Holy Spirit as an authenticating seal to validate our adoption to God's family. And He's given us the Holy Spirit as a protecting seal to keep out destructive forces. Here's the truth about God's tattoo, the Holy Spirit. God wants us to feel secure and safe in His love and His power. That's what He's trying to tell the church in Ephesus. He said, I want you to feel safe. I want you to feel secure in the power of God. And that message rings true to 2017 because these words that were shared to the church in Ephesus are just as prevalent to us in the year 2017. Now let's talk about the other word, guarantee. The other word that Paul uses, drive home this word, is guarantee. Ephesians 1.14, who is a deposit, and that's the Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of His glory. Have you ever rented something where you need to give your driver's license or a credit card to kind of put down a deposit to say, I'm going to bring it back? You ever been through that? A few of you have. Most of you never rent anything. If you go to a hotel, I mean, you go to a hotel and say, I'm going to rent your room. Give me your credit card, right? Um, sometimes you have, to, you have to turn in your license for some things of value. They're like, because they want to know you're coming back. Why do they do this? They want to guarantee that you'll bring back whatever you rented. If you go over to Home Depot and you say, I'm going to be putting a fence in it again. I want to bring a big old auger and I need to rent this big auger to drill all these holes. Home Depot is not going to just say, hey, here's the auger. Bring it back now. They're going to say, let us get a copy of your license, let us get your license number, let's get your credit card number, because if you don't bring it back, we need to know where to find you, but we're also going to make sure that we charge you. And so there's this relationship, this transaction in place, because the company wants to know that they're giving me something of value, because if we give them something of value, they know most likely you're going to bring it back, because we don't want to charge your credit card two or three times whatever it's worth. And if you turn in your license, they know you want it back. So what is God saying to us? When he gives us the Holy Spirit and calls the Holy Spirit our guarantee or our down payment, I think he's saying my great desire for those who believe in me is that you feel secure in my love. I think he's saying, I have chosen you before the foundation of the world. He's saying, I have predestined you to be my children forever. He's saying, I have redeemed you by the blood of my son. He's saying, I have put my spirit in you as a seal and a guarantee. Therefore, you will receive the inheritance and the praise and glory of my grace forever and ever. And I tell you this here in Ephesians chapter 1 brings it up very early because I want you to feel secure in my love and my power. And I don't promise you an easy life. 
And God's saying, I'm not, it's not a promise. He's like, in fact, through many tribulations, you must enter the kingdom of heaven, according to Acts 14. I don't promise always to speak with soft tones of approval, but to warn you in love whenever you begin to seek security in anything but me. But Paul is bringing out this message that God's love is so deep and so big that there's a guarantee that he gives us in the Holy Spirit. No matter how many times God's Spirit came upon people, or was in people, nobody in the Old Testament ever got to have what you and I have. You stop and start wrestling with that, and you start thinking about all the people of the Old Testament, you're thinking, they don't have what you and I have? Nope. Only those who lived in the New Testament and beyond. God's Spirit had not been given as it has now been given to those who have become the children of God. And so in this letter by the Apostle Paul to the church in Ephesus that now is for you and me, Paul is letting us know that when we become Christians, we are marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession. It's a promise that you're in me and that I'm coming for you. See, no other people had ever had that privilege. If you're in Christ, you've been marked. So here's the truth. God wants us to feel secure and safe in his love and power. And God placed his Holy Spirit inside of you to say, this man or this woman belongs to me and I'm coming back for you. I don't know about you, but I find that encouraging in today's times. When you stop and think about, you get on your social media feed or you turn on the news or you look at a newspaper and what do you hear? There's been another shooting, there's been another bombing, there's been another rape, there's been another murder, there's been another attack, there's been another steal, there's been another financial crisis. They're projecting the financial crisis that's to come in 2018 or 19. The housing market's doing this. This has happened. The political realm says this. If you start watching all that, it depresses you and wears you out. And God wants us to know that even in the midst of this world, world that is decaying day by day by day. He says, I'm coming back for you. That's the promise. That's the guarantee. It's kind of like when a couple gets married. Done several weddings in my years of ministry. They hold hands. They light a candle. They exchange their vows. One of the central ceremonies in a wedding is this right here. The wedding ring. So important to the wedding into the relationship. And this young couple I was talking with this morning that's getting married, I was asking about their ring, and you can tell almost someone's age by looking at their ring. You look at mine and go, yeah, he's getting up there in age because they don't even hardly make those gold bands anymore. <laughs> you go and get a wedding ring, and it's some other kind of material, and, you know, it's, it's not a gold band, but, you know, that $70 band meant a whole lot. And my wife's uh, band with, you know, that nice little dime. Us guys, we always get the short end of the stick. <clears throat> but we wear that wedding ring and that means something. This declares that I am committed to one woman and she wears hers and means I'm committed to one man. Now, you could have a conversation with my wife and talk with her. You may even go on a walk with her. But you go beyond that, you're going to have a problem with your preacher. Because she's committed to me and I'm committed to her. And we made a commitment and the ring signifies that commitment that I'm taken. That I'm not available that I have a one lady in my life. In the same way, God has placed His Spirit inside of you to say to everybody, you belong to Him now. You don't belong to this world anymore. Don't mess with this child of God because you belong to Him. And there is all kinds of forces of evil that are attacking. And today there's all kinds of forces of evil that want to attack. And then I want to take you away. The Spirit inside of you is that marking that says to those evil forces, back off. 
You've been marked. You are now part of a relationship that is forever, and that relationship was with God Almighty. His Spirit inside of you is our assurance that He's coming back. His Spirit is a guarantee that He'll come back, that He's coming back for you and me. I once read a true story about a woman who suffered from polio as a child. She said, when my mother left me in Sunday school, I always asked to wear her locket. She thought I liked the locket, but that wasn't it at all. I knew I wasn't worth coming back for, but I knew she would come back for her locket. Let me tell you, this room, some of you today probably feel like you're not worth coming back for. Some of you in this room, you look at your life and you go, Brian, I'm here, but man, if you only knew. If you knew about this struggle that I have, or you knew about that struggle, if you knew about my history, there's no way he's coming back for me. Because I did, or because I said, or because this is my past, or because this is what I'm dealing with right now, sometimes we feel like there's just no way he's coming back because I'm not worth it. I want you to know you're, you are worth it because you've been marked by the Holy Spirit, and that's a guarantee that he's coming back for you. He's coming back for you. Those are encouraging words from Paul that he's bringing to us. Now, obviously, when you're watching or reading this and you're looking at this idea of the Holy Spirit, one question that comes up in my mind is, is why do you do it this way, God? If this is such a big deal to God, and obviously is a big deal that He uses the Holy Spirit to seal us and to, to mark us as a guarantee that He's coming back, why did He do it where He puts the Spirit inside of us? Because if you're like me, I ask questions like, God, you put the Spirit inside of me, but I can't see that Spirit. Like, I could see the tattoo if it was on my foot. And, and, and why not, God, why didn't you just take a stamp and, like, mark it on my right shoulder? You, okay, guys get the right shoulder and girls get the left shoulder. And, and there's a stamp that's on the back that says, you're one of mine. Because all of us at times have got to ask that question, okay, God, I, I believe and I have faith and I know what the Scripture teaches that when I accept Jesus as my Savior, the Spirit comes to live inside of me, but I can't see that Spirit. And so you've got to ask the question, Why? And so I wrestle with that, and I come up with three reasons what I see. Is one is, He wants us always to be with Him. See, if our faith isn't on the inside of us, if our relationship with Jesus is something that is only on the outside, it might be misplaced or mislaid, even might even just kind of rub off, so to speak. Several years ago, there was a small controversy over the design of the new $1 coin. Apparently, somebody had the idea that said, let's take off the words, in God we trust, off the front, and put it on the side of the coin. Almost immediately, though, people were upset about that and began to complain. Coin experts pointed out that if the model was on the edge of the coin, it would surely most likely rub off over time, and people became unhappy with the prospect of this treasured model being worn off and lost. See, God doesn't want our faith to rub off. He doesn't want it to get worn away. He wants His Spirit inside of us so that our bond doesn't become some casual thing. He wants our relationship with Him to be an intense and a personal relationship. And so He puts the Spirit inside of us. Secondly, He wants to be with us all the time because He knows we need Him. He knows we, if it's something that we put on and we can take off, then we know we can leave that Spirit behind. This is, this is a hard world that we live in. It's a very challenging, difficult world. Too often we feel like we're alone in decisions that we make or, or things we're walking through. God never wants us to believe that we're alone or we're abandoned. That's why Paul even writes this letter to say, in Christ, you're not being left alone. In Christ. A preacher once shared about the funeral he conducted 
for a man that he had baptized years before. The man had been a pilot and often took his daughters flying with him. The preacher said, his daughters told me also that when Dave would take them flying, he would allow them to take the wheel and fly the plane. When his daughters became comfortable with handling the plane, Dave even taught them how to do loops. On hearing them, the preacher asked them, did your father really take his hands off the wheel? They looked at him kind of with a little wink and a nod and said, no, no, not really. Daughter was in the front seat flying a plane, but dad always had his hands around, wrapped around in the back with his hands on the wheels, and the daughters felt as if they were flying the plane, but ultimately their father was in control. That's one of the comforts of God's spirit being with us. His hands are kind of always on the wheel, so to speak. He loves us enough to get us, give us freedom to fly our own course, to give us free will to make choice. But because the Spirit is inside of us, we can have confidence because God is still there with us. His hands are on the wheel. He's not walking away from us, never really leave you or forsake you. See, the question we have to answer is, are we willing to submit to His hands being on the wheel? Are we willing to allow that to work in our lives? He never leaves us nor forsakes us because He's always inside of us. And thirdly, He wanted to be inside of us so that we would realize our faith is more than a religion. It's much more than a religion. Christianity in America has been dumbed down to be in a religion, and we've got to fight against that. Christianity is so much more than religion. It's a life-empowering relationship that's available to everybody. All other religions are based on the idea that the more rules we follow, the more religious we become. In other words, religions believe that rules change us, rules make us a better people, and to some degree that's true. Some degree that's true. That does kind of work as long as we agree with the rules, and as long as we're in the mood to follow the rules, and as long as we want to obey the rules, and the rules can make us better people. But as soon as we have our own attitude and say, well, I'm going to do things my way, or I don't want to follow the rules, or I don't like that rules, then the rules don't make us a better people. See, by contrast, when God placed His Spirit within us, He did so so His Spirit could change us on the inside and work with us on the inside and give us a new heart. Ezekiel speaks to that. In Ezekiel 36, he says, I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh, and I will put my Spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. Instead of us saying, i got to follow all the rules, the Spirit comes inside and the Spirit starts to guide us and direct us what a healthy relationship with God looks like and how to behave in that healthy relationship. God wants to do that for us. For many of you, you've had Jesus. You have the Holy Spirit living inside of you. But for some in this room, you may be asking the question, well, how do I do that? And that question must be answered. How do we have God's Spirit, that tattoo, marking us so that we have that guarantee, that inheritance? Well, Scripture is pretty clear. It says it takes faith. Hebrews 11 says, And without faith it is impossible to please God, because anyone who comes to Him must believe that He exists and that He rewards those who earnestly seek Him. In other words, you, there must be a belief in Jesus that He lived he walked on this earth. He died on a cross. He was buried in a tomb. He was rose again. Even though we can't say we, we've seen that, we can't say we, we touched that, we can't say I've ever sat down at a table and saw Jesus with skin on and had a cup of coffee with him. I've never sat down and had a conversation face to face and been able to touch and feel his skins. Like, like Thomas said, who's doubting, he said, I want to see your hands. Scripture says we have to have faith that he, that he existed. Secondly, Scripture tells us that we must repent. 
Jesus said, but unless you repent, you you will all perish. That word perish means an eternal destiny without God. We'll all perish. We must repent. Repent means I've got to turn and say, God, I've been trying to do life my own, and I, want, I need to repent and follow you. I need to repent and not do life on my own. I need to repent and accept you as my Savior. I need to repent and follow your direction and not my direction. It's making a U-turn of life. And then thirdly, Scripture guides us to confess. Romans 10 says, if you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified. It is with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. And so there's got to be a profession, a confession, where you say, I believe in Jesus. That's why when we have people make that faith decision, we ask them to share. Sometimes they come up here on stage. Sometimes it's right in the water as a baptism. But they tell us, I ask them a question, who is Jesus to you? And people say, he's my Lord and my Savior. They're making a confession of who Jesus is. They're saying, I believe. They're saying, I'm repenting. They're making that confession. And then there's an act to follow. That's being baptized. Acts 2, Peter replied, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. I love Acts chapter 2. I just love that chapter because it's, it's when Peter preaches that first great sermon and dealing with all the difficult people he dealt with and he basically looked at him and said, you're the one that put Jesus on the cross and eventually they're, they're cut to their heart and they say, what must we do? And Peter replies, he says, repent. In other words, turn from your evil ways and be baptized and receive this great gift of the Holy Spirit. In Romans 6, Paul says, we were therefore buried with him through baptism into death at in order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. And so Paul then comes right back with what the disciples taught and said there is a, a watery death to the old way of life and there's a new life that happens in baptism. Hence, that's why we baptize by immersion. That's when you see the Spirit. I must ask the question today, have you followed God's prescription of how you receive the Spirit? how you receive that marking, how you receive that guarantee. If you have, then rejoice today and say, oh my goodness, I'm going through some junk maybe, I'm going through some difficult times, I, life's been up, life's been down, but man, I have this promise of the Holy Spirit. If you have it, today could be the day that you receive your tattoo of the Holy Spirit. Today could be that day when you are guaranteed that Jesus comes back for you as well. I want to ask you to respond today. We're going to have our time of communion here in a moment. As we receive our communion, let it be a time of reminder. But also it could be a time of decision for you as we worship. And if you want to make a decision for Jesus to get up and move to the back of the room, we'll meet you back there and help you on that decision. Maybe you want to use your connection card and say, I need some conversations around this topic and help me to know what it means to walk with Jesus. Bow your heads with me in prayer. Heavenly Father, we see markings all over this world, Lord from tattoos that mark our bodies to logos that mark a, a building or a place or a business to um, markings that, that tell us what team we're part of or what we participate in to signatures that sign, away, do, sign on documents. But Lord, the most important marking that we need is Your Spirit. And Father, we thank You for those in this room that have your spirit, and Lord, I pray these words today from your great apostle are words of encouragement. They're words that lift our faith and lift our spirit. Lord, I want to pray for those in this room that maybe haven't accepted Jesus as Savior yet. Maybe it's something that was spoken today would prick in their heart and their mind and just stir in them that they would 
either today make that decision or at least go on a journey of investigating and say, I need to know who Jesus is so that I can have that marking, that spirit living with me. Father, we just uh, celebrate in this time of communion and every time we receive communion, Lord, it reminds us, reminds us who we are in Christ, reminds us of your great love, reminds us of your great sacrifice, reminds us that it had to take place, your death, your burial and resurrection in order for your spirit to come. And so we celebrate in communion, Lord. We also ask you to move during this time, potentially for a time of, of decision. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.